0: Hey, how about the sunshine today, huh? How about this day? Wow. So as you remember Easter when you were a kid, aren't your memories all like today, right, on Easter? So the Easter's I remember were sunny and warm and beautiful. And so I'm just really thankful because I remember last Easter, my first Easter here at Community Heights, and it was rainy and dreary, And it was cold, and you got out of bed that morning, and you just didn't really feel like going anywhere. You didn't even feel alive. But this morning, it's beautiful, so I'm thankful. Hey, Friday night, at our Good Friday service, I asked you to write on three-by-five cards uh, this, because of Jesus, my life is, and then give, give uh, give us five things. Give me five things. And then I had you... Nail those to the cross. And something about picking up a hammer and nailing nails to a cross really makes you think about the reality of the crucifixion. And so this morning, I was looking at some of those, and I, and I plucked four of them off. Uh, because of Jesus, my life is meaningful, fulfilled, purposeful, redeemed, forgiven, worthwhile, blessed, and rescued. That's more than five. So this one I had to read because this person was excited. Because of Jesus, my life has meaning, is joyful, is not perfect, but is good and is worth living. I like that. Because of Jesus, my life has purpose, meaning, and joy. They squeeze three into the first one. Because of Jesus, I can live free of guilt and shame. Because of Jesus, I know unconditional, unfailing love. Because of Jesus, there is purpose in my suffering and strength to bear up under it. Because of Jesus, I do not fear death. I have hope and great anticipation. And then the last one. Because of Jesus, I am alive. I have hope. I have a purpose. My life has identity apart from my circumstances and what people think of me. I have a future with Jesus. And then the one that I saw that had a back turnover to it, because of Jesus, I have love. Love for everyone in the world and it includes a heart. So that is awesome. This is very representative of all of these cards because of, of Jesus. Now, Friday night we were celebrating the death of Christ. We weren't celebrating; we were remembering the death of Christ in anticipation of celebrating the resurrection. Well, it's Sunday morning now. It's not Friday night anymore. And because of the resurrection, we can have life—real life, long-term life, deep, rich life—because of the resurrection. So this morning. I want to say this, the resurrection of Jesus doesn't just usher in a new religion or a new ethic or a way of living or way of salvation, but the resurrection of Jesus ushers in a new creation, a, a whole new, not a recreation, but a new creation. So God created, right? And in seven days, He finished His creation until the resurrection. And then there was new creation. There was taking what was broken and and missing and replacing, creating something new. So if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So it's not just a a recreation it's not a a resuscitation but it's a brand new life and God in Christ began to recreate what he had always purposed for us and for our earth and for the heavens the day that Jesus drew his breath of new life new life so when Jesus walked out of the tomb I don't know if he walked or if he went through the stone before it was. I don't know how that worked. But when he came out, he was different. He was, he was a resurrected human being. The first resurrected. He wasn't just resuscitated to live in the flesh and to die again, but he was resurrected with a new body and new life. Now, of course, that's kind of funny, right? Because he's God. But this is the part, theologically, where we know he's 100% God, but he's 100% man, too. And that 100% man was raised from the dead to die no more. The, the Bible calls it the first fruits, the first part of all who will be risen from the dead in, in, uh, in the future. So at the resurrection of Jesus, the God who created the world had now begun the work of new creation in his son Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to look at uh, just a piece of the resurrection story from the perspective of Luke. Luke is the, the writer of, in the New Testament that's written more words than any other New Testament writer, even more words in the New Testament than Paul. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, which is long, and he wrote the, go- or the Gospel, the Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts, which is long. And if you want to enjoy, if you've got a few minutes this afternoon, and you want to enjoy the gospel and the work of the church, and the creation of the church, read Luke chapter 24 and then Acts chapter 1 and 2. So Acts is the sequel to Luke. It's Luke-Acts, both written by Luke. Luke is the story of Jesus. Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. The last chapter of Luke, the first two chapters of Acts are phenomenal. So this morning, we're going to look at three scenes In Luke chapter 24, you can look in your Bible or you can follow along on the screen. I have them for you. There's three scenes, scene one, scene two, and scene three, all in the same play, the resurrection of Jesus. So scene one is simply, he's alive. And this story, just in this chapter, takes some twists and turns. When they entered, the ladies. The ladies who went to anoint Jesus body with spices and with perfume when they entered the tomb they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus it wasn't there so we're used to going to a visitation or a wake as some might call it and the body is there but you know the person isn't there well they didn't even they couldn't even find the body because God raised him Jesus man and god from the dead and he had a resurrected body. And the angel said, he's not here. He is risen. Later in verse 9, it says, when they came back from the tomb, this is the ladies, they told all these things to the eleven. The eleven guys, okay? The, 11 minus Ju- the twelve minus Judas. Twelve minus one is eleven. It was Mary Magdalene. Oh, okay, the eleven. And to all the others. There were others with the apostles. And they were, they were somewhat cowering. Uh, they were in mourning as we would have been in the same way. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the, to the apostles. They came back and they told the apostles all these things, the things that they experienced at the tomb. They would have talked to them about seeing Jesus. They would have talked to them about the angels. They would have told them the whole story. But look what it says in verse 11. But the guys, they didn't believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. They just, they they, they couldn't fathom it. So Peter, Peter is the leader, and he gets up and he runs to the tomb, and bending over, he sees the strips of linen lying by themselves, but then he goes away wondering to himself, okay, I heard what the women said. I see here that there's an empty tomb, but I don't know what happened. He doesn't believe. He doesn't know. He's, the jury is still out. He doesn't know. This is called, by the way, the power of suggestion. The power of suggestion is when our minds suggest to us what is normal. So if you know that there's somebody in the other room and you know who it is and you hear a voice from the other room, you're going to hear their voice whether or not it's them, okay? Okay? If you pull up to a four-way stop and you stop just before the person to the right of you, you're just going to pull forward because you know that what's normative, what's normal is that they will wait and you can go through. If you get a phone call, and of course, do you even say caller ID anymore like it's a thing? Right? Like if you're like 15 or under, there was a time when you didn't know who was calling. That actually existed (laughs) at a time in the past. But you know who's calling and you answer the phone, and as long as, and sometimes it doesn't even need to be this, but as long as it's the same gender of the person you're expecting, you'll just hear their voice. You'll hear, in fact, you can sometimes carry on a short conversation before you realize, wait a minute, this doesn't sound like this person, but the power of suggestion will tell you that it is. We think that all kinds of things are going to happen because that's what normally happens. And the power of suggestion was standing in the way standing in the way of the disciples, believing of what just happened. We believe what we imagine to be. And our imaginations are often limited to our past experiences, our history, our low expectations, what's normal. I don't know if you remember where you were uh, on 9-11 when you heard about the attacks on the World Trade Center. We were living in Albany, so we were just three hours away at the time. And we were in a staff meeting. We had a staff meeting at 10 o'clock every every morning, every Tuesday morning. And us five pastors were in a staff meeting. And we had just gotten started and, and one of the administrative assistants, one of the women came in to us guys and told us that a plane had hit one of the towers. And this was a thing and it was like in the news. And I thought, okay, whatever this like four-seater plane you know it it clipped one of the towers and it spiraled into the hudson and that was the end of it. That's what I it's literally what I pictured. And then maybe 20 minutes later she came back in and she said, "Hey you guys, I think you might want to cancel your meeting because a, a, a second plane has hit the world trade center." And we're like, "Well, oh okay, well just we got we had stuff to do, right? We were meeting." And so off she went and I, Honestly, I have to confess, honestly, I thought she didn't really know what she was talking about because what she was saying, it didn't make, it just didn't make any sense. So it couldn't be, it couldn't be. And so we went on with the meeting and I don't know, 15, 20 minutes later, she comes into the room and she says, you guys, your wives and your families are calling. One of the towers is down. It's down and you have to come out of this meeting. I was like, down? What do you mean by down? She says, it's down. I I still didn't believe, and so I got out, and I, I remember walking up the driveway and walking into the family room at my house where my wife and kids were, like, in shock watching the TV and started watching it, and it took time, right? Stuff like that takes time to sink in and realize this really happened The thing that's impossible, that couldn't happen, has actually happened. And these disciples, they were going through that. They were all going through that. Not just the twelve, but those who were in the upper room. Because the the women came back and said, he's he's alive. And they were like, what do you mean he's alive? We saw him die. We still have post-traumatic stress disorder. No lie, right? They would. From seeing Jesus whipped and dragged through the street and and put up on the hill and put on a cross and to see everything that happened that day. We're like, this this doesn't make any sense. So let's move on. Verse 13, it's scene 2. And the fog, I have on the screen, the fog lifts. Hasn't really lifted yet. It's starting to lift. The fog doesn't actually lift. The fog of war doesn't lift until Acts chapter 2 some 50-something days later. So, verse 13, here's what it says. Now that same day, two of them, so that there were the disciples and there were the others with them, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. How fast do you walk? Uh, Ah, 15-minute mile, right? So you're looking at an hour and 45 minutes. Maybe a little better, because they were probably in better shape than we are, right? Because they walked everywhere. So at least an hour and a half, they're going to walk to Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. I'm sure they were. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus shows up, and he walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, Hey, you guys, what are you talking about? They stood still, and their faces were sad, downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? And Jesus is, you know, going, well, what things? What things? Someday we can ask Jesus why he asked that question. Why were you leading those poor guys on? What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And look what they, look what they say. Here's their, here's their perspective. He was a prophet. And he was a prophet, right? He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers, they handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped, and we are so disappointed. We really had big plans for our movement and for our group, for our tribe. We'd hoped it is not to be. We'd hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this happened and some of our women amazed us by going to the tomb early this morning and not finding his body. They came and they told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but, but they didn't see Jesus. So it's, it's not going to happen. All that had happened so far, Right? going to the tomb, hearing the reports, now literally Jesus walking with them, that power of suggestion, they they, they, didn't think, they, didn't think he was alive. I remember in the year before, in the fall of 2000, actually, I got to my office uh, on a Monday morning, and this was back when you had to... Well, I had a laptop, so at least I was that far, but I opened up my laptop, and I, and I logged into my email And I downloaded my email, and there was one there from my friend Doug. Doug and I were in college together. In fact, I kind of named my second son after Doug. I'd always liked the name Doug. And Doug and Jody uh, were going to get married, and my wife and I were getting married, and we got married a week apart. We were each in each other's wedding. And so I got this email from Doug, but it was actually from his secretary. She said, I'm using Pastor Doug's email because I'm asking all of his contacts to pray for his wife, Jody. She was sick yesterday and went in the hospital and isn't doing well. Now, what does the power of suggestion say to me? She's 34 years old. We have four kids. They have four kids. He's in ministry. I'm in ministry. She's 34. She'll be fine. I didn't think much of it. I prayed for her, and then I went about my day. And the next morning, I came in, and I flipped open my laptop, and I had an email from Doug. And Doug said, Dear Jeff, if you prayed for my wife, thank you for praying But unfortunately, Jody did not make it. I remember looking at the screen, and I just like, I just froze. I froze. I was in shock. And as I read it, he said she contracted bacterial meningitis, and she died within 24 hours. They tried antibiotics, it didn't work, and she didn't make it. And I remember going to the funeral, you know, some days later, And I remember we went out to the graveside and I was standing just under the awning and the casket was here. And Doug and his kids were in that front row, you know, where they put the seats. And Doug had his little boy, Andrew, bouncing on his lap. He's five years old and little blonde hair, blue eyes. And he gets out and he walks up to the casket and he looks between the crack of the lid and he says, Daddy, I can't see Mommy. And that was, I just lost it. When, he, when that little guy said that, and, I, and I'm thinking, I'm going home to my wife, my kids have a, have a mom, and I'm looking at these four kids, you know, what did they deserve? But death, right, had robbed them of their mom. And I remember walking across the cemetery, I was angry. It's really the only time in my life I have been outright really fuming and ticked off at God, oh, you're a big man up there. You're really powerful, aren't you? Robbing these poor kids of their mom. And I remember my instinct was to kick over some headstones. I was just so angry. I had a six-hour drive back home, and I, I came to my senses, right? But you know what? The resurrection speaks to that. That's about as difficult as it comes, unless you just multiply the deaths, right? Then it gets... Exponentially harder, I suppose. But the resurrection speaks to that. It speaks to that. When I got that news, the power of suggestion said to me, Oh no, she's gonna be fine. But it it took me, it took me time to process this. And the disciples here, it's taking them time. Our companions went to the tomb, they found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus and we don't think he's around, we don't think he's coming. Well, the resurrection that had taken place, it solves all the problems with graves and headstones and, and, uh, and caskets. It solves all the problems of death and loss and grief because the resurrection portrays a new creation. Not just a recreation, but a new creation. So verse 25, here's what he says to them. How foolish you are. You guys, come on, really you're so slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah? You guys, didn't you learn this in school in, in, with your rabbi? Didn't the Messiah have to suffer? Didn't, didn't he have to suffer these things and then he would enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. That would be a message to listen to. When Jesus, from the Old Testament, explains what it says about him. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, Hey, hey, stay with us, it's just just nearly evening. The day's almost over, so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. He had done this just a few days earlier in the upper room. Whether these two were in the upper room, we don't know. But regardless, when he began to give it to them, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Oh, this Jesus. And he disappeared from their sight. Why did he do that? That's the second question we'll ask Jesus, Right? Why did you ask them, you know, what's going on today? And why did you disappear as soon as they recognized you? They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while well, he talked with us on the road and when he opened the scriptures to us? Yeah, their hearts were burning within them. So they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, it's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. The end of scene two. Makes me wonder. What is it in your life that God hasn't revealed yet? What is it about him? What is it about our relationship with him, about my relationship with Him, about your relationship with Him, has He not opened your eyes to yet? Do you believe that the relationship you have with God when you woke up this morning, it's the best it's going to get? Or do you need your eyes to be opened, your hearts to be opened, and the eyes of your heart to be open to see God, to see Jesus, the risen living Savior, in a different way, to see His friendship with you, in a different way, to see his longing for relationship with us in a different way. If you're like me, I think you could raise your hand and say, Yeah, I need my eyes to be open. I'm like those disciples. I need my eyes to be open. I need to see Jesus in a new way. And maybe you've not seen Jesus yet. Maybe you haven't, you don't have a relationship with him. He wants to have a relationship with you. And God wants to have a relationship with you, which is why he came down incarnated in the form of Jesus the man, who was also Jesus God at the same time. Never any more God and never any less man. And never any less God and never any more man. God came down to be with us, to die for us, to pay for our sins on the cross and then to be the very first one who would rise from the dead. To be the very first one to receive that resurrected body made of flesh and bones, just like the body that we are going to get. Scene three. Transformation begins. This is where it begins. It doesn't end here, but it begins here. Well, they were still talking about this, so they got back. They're with, the, um, they're, they're with the disciples and all those others. They all have a realization, hey, Peter even saw Jesus. It must be true. See, back in that culture, if a guy said it, it was more true than if a woman said it. Now, almost in my world, it's almost like us guys know that if the woman says it, it's true, right? We better listen to it. Because we say a lot of stuff that, nah, we're going by the seat of our pants. But if the woman says it, the woman says it, it's probably true. So verse 36, while they were still talking about this, just like that, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Literally translated, hey you guys, how you doing? You guys having a good day? They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet, it's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. You know, in history, there have been a lot of intellectuals that have postulated about the reality of the resurrection, actually the unreality of it, and why some would have thought it was real. Because maybe they saw it in their mind, or they saw spirits, or maybe Jesus' spirit flew by. Or No, Jesus said, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like I have. He had the first resurrection body. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, they just couldn't take it all in. He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. Now, if you're like me growing up hearing this passage, I've always kind of wondered, so he's got a resurrected body, and he's eating fish, is he eating other food, Now, how does a resurrected body work, you know, when you eat food? Do you know what I'm saying? The digestive situation here? But then I've learned, I've realized, a resurrected body. How did I how did I write it? I wrote it here. Yeah, in a a resurrected body, nothing goes to waste. Right? Amen. That's it. I mean, we weren't supposed to be like this, right? That's the fall. It's the fall. In a perfect body, nothing goes to waste. It's all used because everything is good that God's made. Now, I don't see that in Scripture anywhere, but I think it's good. I think it's a good idea. So, verse 44, He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then, and I love this phrase, He opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, this is what, what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And, and here's our marching orders. Believers in Jesus, this is why we're still here. This is why God, when somebody places their faith in Jesus Christ, doesn't just put them on the elevator up to heaven. This is why, right here. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And that word nations in the original language literally is, literally is the word ethnos, which we get our word ethnic or ethnicity from. He's not talking about border states, he's not talking about land masses. He's saying repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all peoples, no matter their. Nation of origin, no matter the color of their skin, no matter their level and the rungs of society, repentance for the forgiveness of sins is available to everybody, beginning at Jerusalem. Now, we've had somebody around for a number of months, one of our what the Alliance calls international workers. Uh, most churches call them missionaries, but Norma Van Dahlen has been around for a while. Norma, are you in here this morning? Oh, oh, there you are. Would you come up? Come on up here. And then I want to ask uh, Tori and Trevor to come up along with Lou. If you guys are still here, there's Lou. Oh, there they are. Because Norma, this is the seat of honor right here. Norma has been around. You've got to love Norma. If you've, if you've never met Norma, just can they meet you after the service? She'll be sitting right over there. Just go over and meet her. But Norma, you've been in Mexico for how many years? Ten. How many years? Ten. How many years? Ten. Oh, there we go. She's been in Mexico for ten years, but before that you were in? Venezuela for 20. For 20. So 30 years in the mission field, and this passage is, is exactly what she does. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preaching his name to all nations. So she left our nation, has, has been to two other nations. And uh, probably more than that, and so Trevor and Tori, would you pray for her because this is her last Sunday with us before she goes back to Mexico? So if you would pray for her, and then Lou i 'm going to ask you to close in prayer after they 're done, there you go, Tori, go ahead dear God, I pray that you will grant Miss Norma safety as she go back. As she goes back to Mexico City, and I pray that you will open the hearts of the people in Mexico City to your word, Amen. Dear Lord, I pray for Norma that the way up there will be she will be safe, and that she will be a light in the darkness, and to help she to turn other people to light too. If it is your will, and help you to be in the town.
1: Before I pray, I was looking for a verse that I thought would be appropriate to fit Norma. I was looking through my Bible the night, and I couldn't find what I was really looking for. Tuesday evening, I went to a prayer meeting, picked up a paper, and I saw a verse from this paper, and I said, that's the one I want. And it's Romans ten fifteen. 15. It says, it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, bring glad tidings of good things. And I thought, you know, that is very appropriate for Norma, cuz she's out there telling people about Jesus, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our responsibility is to <clears throat> to pray that people would respond to that gospel. So, with that thought in mind, let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. Thank you for Norma, who willingly has been serving for years in different areas preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, she soon will be going back to Mexico City, a big city. But, Lord, there are people there who need you so desperately. Lord, I pray by your spirit you would touch their hearts and <clears throat> bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, when Norma speaks, Lord, may your spirit speak through her. It's just not her words, but it's your words. Lord, may you be glorified through everything she does. We also recognize there's an evil one out there, Satan. He's trying to stop the gospel from going out. He's trying to do everything he can. But, Lord, you are more powerful than him. And you are able to do things above and beyond what we could ever imagine. So, Lord, we trust you that souls will be won for the kingdom. And their kingdom will advance. And someday those people will be in heaven saying, Norma, it's because of you that we are here. And Lord we're going to trust you for all of this. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. So Norma, I'm going to speak for everybody, but particularly for my wife and I. You've been a delight to get to know. It's been you you've you've quickly become one of our favorite people. So we look forward to hanging out with you some more. Thank you Lou, thank you Tori and Trevor. I So what Jesus then said to them in the last two verses that we're going to look at, he said, "You are witnesses of these things." You know, Norma's not the only witness, right? Right? We're all witnesses if we believe in Jesus Christ. If we're connected to Christ, we're his witness. He is doing new creation work throughout the world through his body, and that's us. We're it. We're the ones that get to share the good news with people and talk about this repentance and forgiveness of sins. This repentance is talking about people who come to Jesus thinking one way and then believe in Him because now they're thinking a different way about Him. They're thinking a different way about themselves and about their sin. And thinking this different way, this different thinking has caused different actions. Now the things that they used to do, they're not doing anymore. Now they're doing different things because they believe differently now. And so faith always produces a result in people's lives. So when you come to Jesus, you believe in Him, He literally creates in you something new, and you become a new person. So, so let me just ask you, have you ever believed in Jesus Christ? Have you ever come to Him and said, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I surrender myself to you. You're the Lord. You're the Master. By the literal sheer fact of your resurrection and that God exalted you and that you are king over all the earth, I surrender to you. I give myself to you. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. If you've never done that, we can do that. We can pray. If you've never done that, you might have heard those words and decided, yeah, I believe that's true. And God knows your heart because it's not really a prayer that you pray, although prayers are good. It's whether or not you believe in the Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't have to do things. We don't have to be religious. We don't have to do all kinds of stuff. We just have to believe. And then that belief belief results in us doing all kinds of stuff in our life. He says, You're witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. The power from on high was the Holy Spirit, who you'll find coming to the believers in Acts chapter 2, a great chapter if you want to read that later on. The last slide Do you have the power of God in your life? That power is the resurrected, life giving Jesus. That's just a straight, straightforward question. Do you have that power in your life? Do you have Jesus in your life? Jesus loves you. He loves you and he wants you. He even likes you, believe it or not. He even likes those of us who've been following him for a long time even though we've given a lot, given a lot of reason not to. He still does. God has made him King and Lord and he is redeeming all of creation now through us. And will one day unite a restored heaven and earth, a redeemed, uh, completely restored heaven and earth together. He calls us to join him and to be a part of his kingdom work today as his new creation has begun. Did we say today that he's alive? He's alive. No other religion, no other major religion on the planet can say that. And it happens to be true, which is wonderful. Let's pray together. Would you bow your head with me? Father, we bow before you, King of heaven and earth. You're a great and awesome God. And Lord, I pray for those here who have believed in you for many years. And and maybe through the power of suggestion, they believe that their life has peaked. Their spiritual relationship with you has gone as far as it can go. God, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we could see beyond where we are today and see and understand that a greater life exists for us as we develop our relationship with you. And as we face the challenges and struggles of this life, knowing that you walk with us through it and that you redeem. There's redemption in all of the heartache and pain and tears and sorrow and struggle of this life. You redeem it all to make us better. You don't bring it, God, but you use it. You leverage it. You're an expert at leveraging pain and struggle for your redemptive purposes. And Lord, I pray for those who are here this morning who may have never placed their faith in you. And if that's you, you can say, Lord Jesus, you are the resurrected King and I As best I know how, and as much as I know you, I submit myself to you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I believe. And as the Scriptures record, one man saying to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but but help my unbelief. And isn't that all of us? We believe, but help our unbelief. So God, help our unbelief. But I pray that each one of us would walk out of here knowing how much we're loved by you and how free salvation is and how it's by faith alone in your Son. And then, God, you'll do amazing things in our life. Not always happy, not always fun, but always significant and meaningful. Lord, this week, help us to be your light, your body. Help us to love people in your name. Amen.